and morning. One thing that happens during the holidays, Christmas, uh, New Year's season, is family memories that we think back over the years. And one thing that brings a smile to my face, especially when I remember our sons and now our granddaughter, Carly, learning to walk. <laughs> it's always so much fun to watch them when they take that first step. They see the grandpa, grandma, dad, mom, aunts and uncles, cousins, everybody cheering them on. And looking at some old movies and old pictures of the family and recently seeing Carly learning to walk, each of them has a certain style, don't they? I know Carly, it's kind of like balancing. She'll kind of go like this with her two arms and she'll kind of head where she wants to go. With one of our sons, he kind of dove forward, you know, and sometimes he kind of hit the floor but then got back up and kept walking and finally learned how to walk. And some of them lean back. I don't know if you've ever seen the lean backers, but sometimes you see that when they're learning to walk, leaning back. And then there's uh, those who kind of sway round and round. You know, they're kind of going this way. But they make it, finally, when they got their eyes on where they want to go. But it's just kind of fun to remember back and think of all those good family memory, memories. We too as believers, we need encouragement. We need exhortation along life's way and especially during these last days. And we're continuing a study in exhortations for these last days. And somebody said, well, you know, aren't we always kind of in the last days? The Lord could come any time. When I'm talking about last days, and this isn't a, a fatalist, I hope it's not coming across as a fatalist view, but I'm talking about our nation these last days. When we look back over the last 20 years, the last 10 years, the last 5 years, we see a definite turning away from God in our country. And more than ever, we need again to turn back to God and become one nation under God. So when we're talking about these last days, I'm talking about our nation. I love our country. We have freedoms that no other country has in the world, and, and they're precious. There's something that we need to hang on to, something we need to teach generation to generation. But we also, as believers, as we're thinking about these last days, we need encouragement along life's way. We all look for the day of the rapture, but we also need to look toward today and tomorrow. What does God want to do through us as Americans, as believers? Paul, is led by the Holy Spirit, shares four exhortations in a passage we've been looking at that we've been studying in Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 27 through chapter 2, verse 18. And today we come to the third exhortation, the third encouragement in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11. But to understand the context, we're going to read the entire passage beginning in Philippians 1, 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, 
in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed, bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. That's the entire passage. And that's where the four exhortations Paul recorded for us to be encouraged by in these last days. But first we need to review, or at the third exhortation, we need to review the other two. The first exhortation was in Philippians 1, 27 to 30. And that was simply to stand firm in persecution. Stand firm in persecution. There's three ways we can stand firm against persecution. The first thing is by standing fast in one spirit. God the Holy Spirit brings us together. It doesn't matter what our backgrounds is. It doesn't matter if we feel we deserve it more than someone else, which is pride, which is something we've dealt with, that's been dealt with on the cross. But we are brought together by the Holy Spirit to worship, to serve, to grow, to learn, to walk with the Lord like Enoch did every day. So that's the first way that we can stand firm. 
by standing fast in one spirit. Then we stand fast by being of one mind in striving for the faith of the gospel. As we see the world around us, it's more and more. The world says, believe in anyone but God. Try anything but God. Look to anything but Jesus dying on the cross. And we know who's behind that. Satan knows time is short. So he's pulling out all the stops, trying to lead anybody, anything but the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. And then the final way we can stand firm in persecution is in suffering for our faith. could be in our schools, and we see some of that going on. In our jobs, wherever that might be, wherever God has placed us. Even as in churches, one pastor's sermon notes were subpoenaed by the court when he preached against homosexuality. They later reversed it. But that's the start of it. And that's going on. So the first exhortation, stand firm in persecution. Don't give up. Encourage one another. We can do it because we're of one spirit. Because we're striving for the faith of the gospel and that we will suffer for our faith. We all suffer together. We encourage one another. When one is under a lot of suffering, we can come alongside. And that's what Paul is sharing here. The second exhortation encouraged us to be united in humility. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. There's three steps to follow so we can be united in humility. First, we need to recognize our common foundation. One body in Christ. We need each other. We need to stand together and be united in humility by recognizing no one is better than anyone else. We're all sinners saved by grace. I still remember growing up going to see the Passion Play in Oklahoma. And I remember they said, the ground is level before the cross. Come to the lighted cross if God is leading you to accept Jesus as personal Savior. There's no higher plane for anyone. We're all sinners saved by grace. And I tell inmates at the jail, except for the grace of God, I could be on the other side of the bars. Any of us could. But when God gives us a message, we are needing to share that. The world desperately needs Jesus. I think we'd all agree with that. So the first step, we have our common foundation. We need to recognize that. Second step, we need to think alike because we share a core of beliefs based on the Word. God's Word is infallible. It's inerrant. We base our beliefs on God's Word. We can never go wrong. We base it on other things. That's when we get into problems. But we have a core of beliefs. We need to know what we believe based on Scripture so we aren't misled. Because there's many things out there that can mislead us. Many false teachers that can mislead us down the wrong road. And then finally, remember to put others first. You know the acronym JOY, Jesus, Others, and You. We're last. Jesus first, others second, and then we are last. We need to remember that. Put others first. So with that background, we come to our third exhortation in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. 
And that is, always remember Christ's example of humility. Always remember Christ's example of humility. These verses 5 through 11 of Philippians 2 contain three questions to understanding what true humility is all about. We look to the world for humility, you won't find it. But you look to believers and you look ultimately to Jesus, we will find the ultimate example of humility. Verse 5 contains the first question, and here's what it says. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. The first question, who is our example of true humility? And the answer, Christ Jesus. Let this mind be. That means to have understanding, to seek or strive for. Lightfoot has reflect in your own minds the mind of Jesus Christ. The habitual direction of Jesus' mind was an attitude of humility and self-denial for the benefit of us, for others. That mind, that attitude was not how can others serve me, but how can I serve? Wow, isn't that a wild, non-worldly attitude? You see so many things on TV, commercials, everything's pushing the prideful attitude but not Jesus. And that's not the attitude. The worldly attitude isn't what God wants us to be portraying. I had an inmate share with me how God knocked the props out from under him. He was into drugs. He said, finally, chaplain, I had to look up. And I saw for the first time I needed Jesus. Except for the grace of God, any of us could be in Pinellas County Jail. That mind attitude of Christ does away with self-centered desires. As we humbly serve each other, we concentrate on serving one another, then we don't have time for that self-pride. And only God can give that in our hearts so it comes out in our lives. Jesus, His mind attitude is where we find the example to live humbly, not self-sufficient, but humbly serving the King of Kings. One commentator shares, as long as we spend our time contending for our brand of righteousness, we will have little time for caring for the needs of others. Like the Pharisees, the more righteous we claim to be, the less regard we have for the needs of others. Heralding our righteousness will take precedence over helping others. The mind of Christ is reminded in Matthew 11:29 and 30, Jesus shares, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You need to turn it over to the Lord immediately and then allow Him to work it out according to His will. And more and more each day I'm reminded, and I, I'm reminded by God that God's timing is everything. He only knows the right timing for something to come about in our lives, doesn't he? If he has a plan for us and we're following him and we're in his will, the next step will happen according to his will if we're searching and we're looking to God to lead us. Not pull God along. I have a lot of inmates 
lately telling me, you know, chaplain, I'll go back to church if I get out of here. If God gives me a good deal, pray I get off today in court. I said, it doesn't work like that. God has a plan for you, and until you're ready to be released from here, until you've seen God has to be number one in your life, he may have a time here that he wants you to kind of relook at your priorities, like we all do from time to time. God has to be number one. If he's anywhere else in our lives, it'll get messed up every time. But only with God number one can we walk with him. So our example of true humility is Jesus Christ. The second question to understanding what true humility is all about is how is it shown? And beginning of verse 6, we see Jesus Christ incarnation. Beginning of verse 6 through 8. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. At verse 6, we see who being in the form of God speaks of the continuous state of Jesus being God, the second person of the Godhead, The word form here refers to the outward expression which a person gives of his inner nature. Jesus is the essence of who God is. He shows on the outside who he is on the inside. Jesus is God. And we see that pointed out in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So we see here, Jesus is still the Son of God in deity, but he humbled himself to come to this earth to put on a body like we do and to live on this earth, be born and live and accomplish the mission of dying on the cross for us. It says in verse 6, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, to mean anything embraced or held onto. Jesus willingly set all the character of deity aside for a time. I don't think we can ever fully understand that. For the first time, Jesus is part of God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father. He set aside his deity to come to this earth. For us. But then it says in verse 7, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Emptied himself, gave up himself, set aside the privileges of being God. John MacArthur shares Jesus set aside his privileges in several areas, his heavenly glory that face-to-face relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. So he set that aside. Secondly, his independent authority. Remember Jesus said, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done. He set that aside because the mission was for him to come to this earth and die upon the cross for us. So that independent authority 
he laid aside. The third, divine prerogatives, the display of his divine attributes, and he submitted himself to the Holy Spirit's direction in his life. The eternal riches, Christ was poor, owned very little while he was on earth, had a treasurer who stole, that was Judas. He set aside a favorable relationship with God. He felt the Father's wrath for human sin while on the cross, the sin we should have to pay for. And Jesus felt that. Verse 7 continues, taking the form of a servant, a bondservant. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, a bondservant. Swindoll, Charles Swindoll, describes it this way. He describes the steps downward that Jesus took. He emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of humanity. He humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death. And he accepted the most painful and humiliating way to die, crucifixion. And then the last part of verse 7, being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, verse 8 begins. Jesus took all the essential needs of humanity. Verse 8 shifts the focus from heaven to earth and the reason Jesus came. Verse 8 continues, He humbled Himself. The Son of God allowed Himself to be persecuted, to be spit upon, to be ridiculed, to be laughed at and mocked, and eventually die upon the cross. We've even heard recently with missionaries around the world of persecution for their faith. But Jesus ultimately showed a humble spirit. We know the example not long ago with Mike Schott as he faced the accusers who could have killed him and yet he was testifying to them. That's what God had in his heart to share and that's what he shared and he was spared. No guarantee of that. But God was with him and gave him the words to speak. To be crucified was the most hated way of executing someone. According to the Old Testament, the Jews hated crucifixion. Won't turn to it, but in Deuteronomy 21-23, it talks about how the Jewish people despised those who were crucified. But he went through all this. He was willing to be crucified because Jesus was subject to God the Father's will. He was going according to the plan to provide a way that Jesus could declare in John 14:6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes under the Father but through me. Period. That's it. When I hear all kinds of other things going on from inmates at the jail, and they'll say, yeah, but chaplain, what about this? I said, God wrote God's word, and that's what it says. There is no other way. 
We have to accommodate many other religions at the jail, but it doesn't affect my conviction because if I didn't believe Jesus was the only way, I don't know how people can get up in the morning. I don't know how they can stand not having Jesus by their side and leading them and following them. I said, God asked two things of us. First, believe, but then I want you to follow and I want you to obey my word. And too often, the world thinks it's let's make a deal with God. That isn't how it works. Every time we come before God, we're kneeling before God's holy throne in heaven, the eternal God who sent His Son to die upon the cross for us. Third question to understanding what true humility is all about is shared in verses 9 to 11. And here's what it shares in God's Word. Therefore also God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That third question, what were the results of Christ's true humility? The answer, Jesus was highly exalted as Lord. It says, therefore God, God the Father, has highly exalted Jesus. God the Father exalted Jesus, how? With His resurrection. When Mary came, when the disciples came to look at the tomb, and they didn't see Jesus' body there, they saw an angel, and even Jesus reincarnated, speaking one word to Mary. What did He say? Mary. And she recognized Him. The angel to share the good news, Jesus is resurrected. He's not here anymore. He's had victory over death. So God the Father highly exalted Jesus by His resurrection, by His position. Where's Jesus today? At the right hand of the Father. And someday He will say, God the Father will say to Jesus the Son, it's time, go get your church. Bring them home. Every day that's our hope. God the Father exalted Jesus. He intercedes for believers. You don't think Satan's up there accusing all the time? Saying, oh, I see those people down at Lakeside. And he starts naming them. And look at that one and that one. And they messed up over here. Jesus says, I paid the price. They're righteous because I've paid for their sin. They're one of my children. I always remember that one song. There's a song that's out. He, he knows my name. Someday, as we're raptured up, if we live that long, or if we're, we're taken up into heaven through death, where Jesus says, I know your name. I call you by name. Come. Won't that be the day? God the Father exalted Jesus by His ascension. When Jesus went up and he said, but I'm coming back. We don't know when. We don't need to know when. God knows. And when that day comes, if, if we ushered out of this world through death, there's no sting of death. Why? Because it's a step into the presence of God. And that's going to be for eternity. Someday we'll have a new body. 
won't give up, won't quit. Body that heals totally. And will always be 100% with his glorified body. That will never wear out. Now we have surgeries. Now we have pains. Now we have our bodies giving out. But not always. Not for eternity. It says Jesus was highly exalted to the highest rank and power when it says, and given him the name which is above every name. The name denotes office, rank, dignity. Kenneth Wiest, commentator, shares, A man, the man Christ Jesus, who as very God has voluntarily laid aside his expression of the glory of deity during his incarnation, now has placed upon his shoulders all the majesty, dignity, and glory of deity itself. That name is shared in verse 11. What does it say? Lord Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the only one who has that name. Jesus Christ is Lord Jehovah. No one else with that title. Every knee will bow. Jesus is sovereign. I know some days it's hard to believe that when we hear the news too much or we open the paper. We say, God, it looks like everything's out of control. Remember Habakkuk in the Old Testament? Lord, what a mess over here. God's still in control. He's still sovereign. We are a part of God's family, whether, and we're so blessed to live in America as opposed to many other countries. We can freely meet like this. Many countries would give anything to be able to meet in the open with the freedom we have here. But that freedom is given to us by God. And if God so chooses, He can remove it. We need to pray every day for the courage to speak up with what God lays on our hearts and that should be the word. That should be growing in our faith, learning. God's taught me something since September. I had two surgeries. Now I know how people feel. You don't recover in two days or two weeks or six months. You're slowed down because everything doesn't heal as good as it used to. The first time I had certain, now I can empathize. If I don't go through that, how do I know how people feel? Sometimes God brings us through the same kind of trials so we can encourage one another. And we need that, don't we? We need that more than ever. Verses 10 and 11 is the exaltation of Jesus Christ, the perfect example. Now being exalted, He's Lord. Lord, all will confess, all will acknowledge someday, affirm that Jesus is Lord. And it says it's all to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ was given the one-of-a-kind name, Lord, is for the glory of God the Father. There's the words to a song here that I just wanted to share with you that has really touched my heart in this area I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean how marvelous how wonderful and my song shall ever be 
How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. For me it was in the garden he prayed, not my will but thine. He had no tears for his own griefs, but sweat drops of blood for mine. In pity angels beheld him and came from the world of light to strengthen him in the sorrows he bore for my soul that night. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. You know, you have, it makes me think of that kid's chorus, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. <laughs> we should wake up every morning and say, God, I thank you, Jesus, you love me. I don't deserve that. I don't deserve to be called your son or daughter. But because of your grace, because of your mercy, you've changed my eternal destiny from forever away from God to forever with you. We can never repay that, but we can live for that. We have the privilege and honor to serve Jesus Christ, the only Lord of the universe, only one with that name, Lord. We've answered three questions in understanding what true humility is all about. First, who? Jesus. How? Through his incarnation. What results? Jesus is highly exalted as Lord. Do our lives reflect the humble example of Jesus who laid aside his divine powers to be killed, crucified on a cross? Endure the humiliation to pay for our sins, my sins, so we could, by His grace, be saved. If not, why not? Let's start today. And next week we'll finish up this series in Philippians. Let's bow together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. Thankful that it's true. Thankful, Lord, that we can study it and the freedom we have here in America. May we never take that for granted. Father, may we thank you every day for what you did in sending Jesus to die on the cross for us, that he didn't turn away. He fulfilled the mission so that we could be saved by your grace. Father, we know Jesus laid aside everything for us we in turn should lay everything aside for you. Help us to have that humble attitude. Help us to look at the example of what Jesus did in coming down from heaven to be born in a manger, to live in poverty, and yet fulfill the mission of dying on the cross for us so that we could be saved. Thank you again, Father, for this season. Thank you, Lord, for the encouragement. And may we every day be encouraged to know that you're our Savior. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.